Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. The Gospel of John, chapter 19. main verses for us this morning be 25, 26, 27. When we consider the death of someone, sometimes we'll ask, you know, what were their final words? Or we'll say famous last words is a saying we use at times. Here are some examples, and I just uh, popcorn-picked several names that you may be familiar with. Benjamin Franklin, these are the last words recorded, according to those who, over the test of time, who have said these are his words. He said, a dying man can do nothing easy. That was Benjamin Franklin. And Michael Landon Some of you may remember who that is, Little House in a Prairie. He said, you're right, it's time, I love you all. Joan Crawford, an actress, yelled at her housekeeper who was praying. Crawford said something which I will not repeat, and then she said, don't you dare ask God to help me. Jane Austen, I want nothing but death, she said. 1626. Some of the martyrs, 1555-ish, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley, were martyred for refusing to deny truths that are taught in the New Testament. They were fastened to rope, to a stake, and Latimer was heard shouting as the flames were rising, be of good cheer, or be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out. And William Tyndale's final words before being strangled, before he was burned, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Some final words, some individuals. And we consider the... Lord Jesus Christ, we ought not to think of his words on the cross as his final words or his last words, um, for he continues to say things after, because indeed Jesus died and rose again, according to the scriptures. And he has uh, many more things to teach his disciples before he ascended back to the Father. And indeed, he has many more things to teach us in the word of God. Nevertheless, Jesus did have his final words as he was dying on the cross. We consider these as uh, seven final sayings that show us and prove to us that Jesus indeed was fully alert and in possession of all of his faculties until he gave up his life and his spirit. He knew and understood the significance of his death to provide salvation for many. His words also show us the concern and love for others. 
in his darkest hours, as he was agonizing and suffering physical pain, as he was enduring the abandonment by the Father, as he would bear the sins of those whom would come to Christ. When he was suffering the most, he was concerned for others. Consider these words from the cross. I'll just read these for you and give you a point of significance. Some of these we have covered already in our previous study. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, said the Lord Jesus Christ, Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. A prayer for God to forgive those who were crucifying him. This showed the merciful hearts of our Savior. And he said, remember, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Remember he said that to one of the criminals that was on the cross that was being crucified next to him. Remember, both criminals were hurling insults at him, but God lovingly saved one of them. And he turned to Jesus and asked to be remembered in his kingdom. And Jesus says this to him. I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. This confident promise of salvation. And then he says, of course, in our study this morning, dear woman, behold your son. And he said to John, behold your mother. These words of affection that he said. And of course, In Mark chapter 15, verse 34, Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These words of deep, deep anguish, as indeed the God, God the Father abandoned his son on the cross as he was bearing the wrath of the Father for sinners like us. And he says, I thirst. This shows the true humanity of the Lord, his physical suffering. And then, of course, he says, it is finished. The most important words of all, arguably. The words of a victorious warrior, Jesus Christ. And he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. These words show Jesus to have been in control of his life until the last moment. Sovereignty. This restoration. And that he was in fully in control of all things. First point for us this morning, staying near the cross. Staying near the cross. And we consider the, the question, who was there? Who was there near the cross? Verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So we look at this verse here, staying near the cross, and depending on where one puts the comma, and depending on if you want to have two sisters named Mary, This um, influences exactly who was indeed there. And if Mary had a sister named Mary, which is unlikely. Let's consider these people that were there. John lists four women. Jesus' mother, Mary. Of course, she was there. Mary's sister, who is not named right here. 
and Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So quite a few Marys there. When compared to Mark's gospel, Mary, the wife of Clopas, was the mother of Jesus' disciples, James the Younger and Joseph. Mark names a fourth woman as Salome, or Salome, which Matthew says was the mother of the sons of Zebedee, the mother of the apostles John and his brothers. So if you put it all together, it seems that John the apostle could have been a cousin of Jesus according to the flesh. So who was there? Jesus, Jesus' mother, Mary, Mary's sister, and Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. We see from Mark's account that there were at least several women who were there to be with Jesus as well. And then we see John. So the question is, as was asked this morning concerning the choir, where were the men? Where were they? John was there. Were they all working? Unlikely at this time, this festival time. Where were they? Where were the disciples? What were they doing? Could Mary and Martha have been there as well? Remember, in our study in Luke, we looked at that at some point in chapter 10. I'm just going to go over this really quick. Remember Mary and, and Martha. Maybe Martha learned a lesson from Mary about being at the feet of Jesus. Luke tells us, chapter 10, verse 38, they were traveling along and he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, prioritizing that, listening to his word. That was her priority. She wanted to be at the feet of Jesus. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. Are preparations important? Yes. But she was distracted with them. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Martha was doing what she was doing, and Mary had chosen to be at the feet of Jesus Christ. While John, and we turn back to John 19, if you turn to Luke, John was the only male disciple that was there that was named. Where were the men? Before his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus told his disciples that they would fall away that very night. And they emphatically said, no way, no how. Remember, Peter said, if, even if all of these deny you, I never will. And Jesus says, you will deny me three times. And indeed, Peter did. And all the rest 
scattered. But here was John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Yet the cowardly ways of the disciples was only temporary. After his resurrection, they would indeed seek after him at the appointed place. Mark tells us this. I'm just going to read that for us uh, this morning. Actually, Matthew 26, really quick here. 31, 35, I believe it is. Well, Jesus said to them, you will fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. And then they respond and they said, no way. But Peter, uh, Jesus says, but after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. So they knew where to to find him. What brought them, these ladies, and the one man, John, what was, why were they there? What was their desire to be there? Well, their love and devotion to Jesus Christ. Their desire was to be near Jesus and at the foot of the cross. The applications for us abound to where we are to be in our heart disposition and in our mind where these ladies were and where, the, where John was, near Jesus Christ. Staying near the cross, because the Savior, as we know, died on the cross. So staying near Jesus, drawing near to Jesus. Many practical examples we could give on that. But we have also, secondly, the words from the cross. The words from the cross. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. With all of the ladies that were standing by, and John the disciple whom he loved, Jesus focuses in. On Mary, his mother. Now, Mary, the mother of Jesus, has endured quite a bit in her life up until this point. Just a young woman when she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. A very young woman. Then, after Jesus was born, When he was possibly up to two years old, the Magi came to the house and fell to the ground to worship him. Mary was there. She sees this. Here are these wise men coming from a total, complete other country, and they're worshiping baby or Jesus, young Jesus. Then the Lord appeared to Joseph, her husband, in a dream, warning him that Herod was seeking to kill Jesus. So they leave in the middle of the night for Egypt. Again, this is Mary, a very young woman. And here she is, many years later, watching her son 
be tortured to death and die a gruesome death that none of us in here could handle, woman or man. Imagine the agony of watching your child being tortured to death on a cross right before your eyes. What kind of restraint must have been there as she watched her adult son marred beyond recognition of man, mocked as he was, and then dying there and speaking to her. Perhaps something that could have been going on through her mind was what Luke said in chapter, or what Luke says in chapter 2, verse 27 and following. This is when Jesus was presented at the temple as a young boy. Because every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what was in the law of the Lord. In verse 27 of chapter 2 of Luke, I'll just read this. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms. And he blessed him. He blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and his mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul, Mary, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And indeed, wasn't Mary's own soul being pierced at this time as she would watch her son die in this way? So not only do we have fulfilled prophecy in the events surrounding the crucifixion as we have studied, as the word of God would say in Isaiah chapter 46, but we also see that indeed we have the love and sorrow mingled together, mingled down, threaded together at the cross. It is a thread that is interwoven throughout. Here we see such great love and sorrow as Jesus shows his love to his mother and to John, even as great sorrow was filling his own heart. Likewise, we find that Mary, John, and the rest were there out of love for Jesus, even as great sorrow must have filled their hearts as they watched Jesus suffer and die. Love and sorrow mingled together. James Boyce says, For although it is true that the beloved of God often suffer for God's sometimes hidden purposes, it is nevertheless true that we take comfort in his knowledge of our sorrows and his solace for us in the midst of them. 
in these words, we notice that Jesus was aware of Mary, even in his own sorrow. He cared for her and acted to provide what was needed for her. Let us not forget that Mary and John were not only, or not the only ones whom Jesus showed compassion and care for in his suffering and in his spiritual agony. Those who were murdering him, as I mentioned, Father, forgive them, for they did not know what they are doing. For the criminal who repented, Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. And Jesus did not address Mary as mother but as woman. No issue with this. It was out of respect. But we cannot miss the clear, important significance of this, of how Jesus was speaking. As Richard Phillips suggests for us, Jesus was alerting Mary to her need to relate to him, not as a mother, but as a member of the fallen race of Adam and Eve. He continues, the greatest mistake for even a spiritually minded person like Jesus' mother Mary is to seek a claim on Jesus through the merits of the flesh. What are some merits of the flesh? Or things that people think can get them to heaven? Some merits of the flesh being raised in the church. Right, something that, well, you ask them, you talk about things of the Lord to them. First thing out of their mouth sometimes, well, yeah, I was born and raised in the church. I was born a Christian. No, you weren't. First off, you were not. But I was raised in a church, of course, blah, 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 blah. Yes, of course, I'm Christian, raised here, raised in church. That's great you were raised in a church. But have you been born again? Being raised in a church, being a family member of someone in a church will not amount to anything when you stand before Jesus Christ. Some would say, I was baptized as a child. Or even as an adult. And they account that as their salvation. No, that is works. That can save no one. Being related to someone who is a Christian. Oftentimes you get that in evangelism as well. Well, my uncle, or my great uncle's cousin's wife, sister's friend's uncle, he's a pastor back in central Arkansas or something. Mary was Jesus' mother. And she had to come through the narrow gate and through the narrow way, just as the criminal on the cross did. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. As Christians staying near the cross, preaching the word of God to ourselves daily, do we not need that? Because of our own hearts, because of our own flesh, because of the enemy who seeks to destroy us, because of the world as well. And then the words from the cross, those sayings from the cross, and then the words we have here. As Jesus says, 
Woman, behold your son. He says to John, behold your mother in verse 27. Thirdly, we see the power of the cross. The power of the cross. Behold your mother. John, care for this woman as if she was your own mother. From that hour, the scripture tells us, the disciple took her into his own household. What does that mean? He took care of her from that point on. Now, the scripture does not record her her future until she passed. There's some traditions, some things written of where she may have been, how long she may have lived and where she may have died. But John did what Jesus told him to do here. But we also need to be reminded of what this scripture does not teach. This is not teaching that Mary is co-redemptrix with Jesus as Roman Catholics believe. They insist, or some of them insist, that Jesus was committing the apostles and his church into Mary's care here. No, it was not Mary who was entrusted the care of the church. Mary was a sinner just like us. Jesus said it would be the Holy Spirit, the helper, the spirit of truth that he would send, that he would leave with them. Indeed, who would be entrusted with the church? Jesus shows the significance of the relationships of brothers and sisters in Christ over blood relationships here. This does not downplay the fifth commandment, which I'll look at briefly. But Mary had other sons. They were not there either. Mary had other sons. They did not believe in Jesus at this point. He puts Mary in the care of one who would have the same union with Christ, the same spiritual outlook. In other words, the spiritual bond we have as Christians takes precedence over blood earthly relationships. And Jesus preaches this. Jesus teaches this. Jesus says in Matthew, You shall love the Lord your God to the Pharisees who were trying to trip him up once again. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourselves. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Our love and obedience and worship of God above everything and everyone else first and foremost. Then loving our brethren as ourselves. Indeed, Exodus 20, verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that your Lord, the Lord your God has given you. Deuteronomy 5, 16, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you. At the same time, Jesus says, 
those who love father or mother more than me, or whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus bypasses his unbelieving relatives and places Mary in the care of John instead. Why? Because John followed Jesus Christ. John followed him. Luke has something for us to say. I'll just read it for us very quickly. Luke chapter 8, 19 and 21, if you're writing it down. Just going to read it quickly. And his mother and brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. This is when Jesus was teaching in parables. Jesus was ministering. The crowds were following him. What's this man going to do next? What's he going to say next? And his mother and brothers came to him, and they were, they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. They could not get close to him. And it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But Jesus answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. The priority. The significance. 1 John 3.16 says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. For the remainder of our time, I want us all to please turn to John chapter, 1 John, excuse me, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I said chapter 4, we're going to start in chapter 1. I'm just going to look over some of these verses. Chapter 1, 2, 3, 5. Now we consider the words from the cross, what Jesus says. The response to these words by Mary and John. They did what Jesus said. They obeyed him. And the challenge from 1 John 4. To know where you stand with Jesus Christ this morning. Look at verse 5, chapter 1, 1 John. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, And yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The scripture is clear to us, is it not, that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. 
Also in chapter 2, 1 John, verse 15. Remember, this is the same John who was at the foot of the cross. Do you not love the world, nor the things in the world? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Verse 18, children, it is the last hour. And just as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know it is the last hour. Chapter 5. Why did John write these things? Well, he tells us. He tells us right here. Chapter 5, verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. What does it mean to believe in the name of the Son of God? It means to follow after the Son of God. It means that, it means that one has placed their, their faith in him for their salvation. It means that one has repented of their sin and is following after him to believe in what Jesus said of who he was and who he is, that he is the door of the sheep and there is no other way, that he is the shepherd and there are no other shepherds like him, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Everyone in here should know, that's a Christian, should know that they have eternal life. Why? Because you have believed in the name of the Son of God. Why? Because you have submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you have turned from your sin and turned to Christ as Lord and Savior. Then you will know, you can know that you have eternal life. And you say, well, I don't know. You need to be born again if you do not know. Jesus also said, unless one is born again, he will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 5, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ the true God and eternal life. How do you know if you're a Christian? Let me give you some more verses. I'm just going to read these. Jesus said, John 15, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. What is the opposite of friend? Enemy. Are you a friend of Jesus Christ or an enemy of Jesus Christ this morning? One or the other. John 15, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. John 3, 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Acts chapter 5, verse 32, and we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. 
in Romans 2.8, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 5, 9. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And 1 John 5, 2, by this we, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So I have a question for everyone in here, and this is for some of you, and for everyone in here, really. Have you turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior for eternal life? If not, why would you wait? fourth quarter quote came to me by Steve Lawson. Hell is full of sincere religious people that have never been born again. And heaven is full of immoral people who repented and believed in Jesus Christ. Such were some of us, right? Such were some of us, but we were washed. We were cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. We were saved. And we are called to stay near Jesus. There's no better place than being near the Lord. And as what he said from the cross, and what he continues to say as far as through the word of God, he calls us to obey. And then the power of the cross, the power of salvation to everyone who would believe. And this morning, we're going to see evidence of that when our brother is going to be baptized. He is going to say, he is saying as he gets baptized, the power of the cross. Jesus has saved me. And I am obeying him in this command. And I understand what he is saying here. And I follow Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to pray briefly. We're going to meditate upon these things as the pianist would play a little bit for us and consider these things. And then we are going to be dismissed and we're going we're gonna to go down to the fellowship hall to see the baptism, to witness the baptism. Let us pray. Father, let us consider these words today that Jesus, your Son, our Savior, our Lord, and our King, has said from the cross. Let those do not know you in here this morning, run to the cross now. Run to Jesus Christ, the crucified Savior, who died and rose again on the third day and who ascended on high. And he, he is, has the name above all names. 
in no other name may men be saved, but only by Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you are a merciful, forgiving Savior, and that any who would come to you in repentance and faith, you will by no means cast out. What great love you have shown us by sending your Son to die for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.